Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. My name is Andrew Frezza, and in today's episode, I'm bringing on Jason Ackerman of the Best Hour of Their Day podcast. And it's funny how we started this conversation. I actually DM'd Jason about a post that he did on Instagram about the importance of the hook grip and said that you should come on the show and we should debate this and, and talk about the merits of the hook grip and how that fits into a, a general physical fitness program where you have everyday athletes in it. So that's part of today's conversation, but we also talk about things like what Jason thinks that most coaches should be focusing on right now as it relates to their development, as well as um, how fit do you really have to be to be able to live a, a really good, happy, healthy life. So enjoy this episode with Jason, and if you guys have any questions or, or wanna see other people on the show, don't hesitate to reach out, andrew at fittown.com, and we'll see you soon. Are you coaching any classes? You, you I doing am all coaching. Stuff? No, no, I'm coaching again, just one night a week, three, three hours. Um, and then a handful of subbing when they need me, but I'm really, really enjoying coaching again. Like I think what this past year has taught me, it's like, there's no price you can put on doing what you love. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to get back into doing the things I really enjoy. One of which is coaching, coaches development, um, nutrition a little bit of everything there i've really gotten back into that nice um how much of that for you is is like in-person stuff versus just the subject matters that you want so you, you mentioned coaching classes coach development nutrition could you do all that online and still fill that cup up of like doing what you love or does it have to be an element of in-person i think i realized it does have to be that in-person element the I coach Monday nights, four, five, and six, and I missed I missed that specifically. Uh, communicating with someone like you and coaches development, I have a virtual call, you know, in an hour where I'll be working with a whole bunch of coaches. That's fun, and I really do love it, and I think that's the foundation. But at the very tip top, I, I would definitely put I missed that in-person interaction. Yeah, and are you doing any? When's the last time you did like a seminar staff? Uh, in person? Uh, last month. Okay, so you're still doing those every once in a while? Yeah, they're just, I think, A, not quite as uh, attended, not quite as well attended, you know, a little less people per seminar, so therefore less trainers on staff, and B, because of the pregnancy, I'm just not traveling as much. So when they come around town, I, I try my best to get those seminars, but I can't always guarantee it, so... I, I, I love that too. I miss doing that. Yeah. Have you found for yourself that you sort of need to have like five balls in the air at once? Like, have you tried to just focus on one thing? Cause it seems like you have always so many things going on. I think this, these past few months I've realized I need to do that. And I have been better about it. I always have, like you said, like I'm juggling five balls and I would argue like, the balls are kind of overlapped. Like they're all mm -hmm. coaching, they're all fitness related, but they're still separate projects. And I was just having a chat this morning with my buddy from Whiteboard Daily, Carl. And we were talking about 
moving with a purpose. And I said, you know, that's no different than being an entrepreneur. Like if you are all over the place chasing shiny keys, you are distracted versus, you know, focusing on A, what you love, B, what you're good at. You know, it's the, it's the concept of essentialism. Nice. So for you, you don't really see it as multiple projects. You see it no. as more of one direction that kind of happens to have different assignments, I guess. I, I do see it as multiple projects. So I've gotten better at it. Um, but I do think there's a lot of overlap. You know, I get a lot of fulfillment out of this with you and we're going to chat and then I can probably take aspects of this, you know, put the podcast out for us and talk, you know, so there, there's definitely overlap. I guess the point is 98% of what I do, if not 100% is fitness related. Mm. It's a matter of, you know, um, it's, it, you know, it's a matter of where those different balls are, are, are landing in that fitness sphere. How do you assess your ideas, whether they're worth taking action on or not? Because I imagine that we see a lot of your projects, but I imagine you probably have two, three, five times as many ideas as we actually see eventually come to fruition. So how do you assess that? Or do you, do you have a process for testing those things and you kind of try a lot of things and then after you know, a week or a month, you might uh, you know, test it and then deem it doesn't work? I think a little of both. I think one, I just, I write down my ideas and some I sit on, some I rush and it's based on A, my passion for it. And then to some extent, like what financial outcome am I looking for with this? You know, and then, and then B, yeah, sometimes I do throw ideas out there and see what sticks. I think, so I think there's a blend of both. Um, but I think I've gotten again better at here's an idea, take a deep breath, you know, then that breath may last a minute, it may last a month before determining, you know, do I really want to do this? But then also evaluating how much time is this going to take? You know, so I put out my mindset course uh, maybe like a month ago, but it wasn't, it was something I was really passionate about. It wasn't necessarily going to be this immensely lucrative financial gain but it also didn't take me a ton of time. Mm. So I had to kind of balance those three things, passion, time, and, and finance. And, and, you know, in my head, that equation worked out. Nice. Um, so I wanted to talk about, uh, the reason we decided to have this podcast was a post that you had on, on social media, uh, which was about the hook grip. And I had to find it today because I kind of forgot what exactly what it said. Um, but I was like, we should hop on the podcast and, and talk about that and, and have a little bit of a debate on it. Uh, but I looked up the post today and basically it was, there are two types of people on this planet, those that hook grip and those that don't want to be strong, <laughs> which of course is, is typical social media fashion of, I know even it, you know, depending on what your beliefs are, you're still going to kind of make it controversial in some way. So uh, I'd love to hear you elaborate on that a little bit and uh, what your perspective is on the hook grip. So first of all, I want to give credit where credit is due. I believe I first heard that from Joe DeGain. He's a flow master based out of Michigan, uh, CrossFit 810. Uh, long, time, long time seminar staff, phenomenal, many time regional athlete back in the day. And he was teaching the snatch breakout at the level one, you know, probably eight or nine years ago and he said that and 
it's always been one of those funny statements that I've included more so as just a way to get those on the bubble of hook gripping, like to consider it. Um, clearly you can want to be strong and not hook grip. And, and depending, I suppose you can say, if I were to make that, you're right, it was clickbait, right? It's clickbait. But if I were to make that a little more concise, it'd be like, there's two types of people, those that want to be strong at the Olympic lifts and those that don't hook grip. Because you can squat, press, and dead all day and you never need to hook grip. But if, if you're going to try to lift the most you can via the snatch or clean, I would certainly argue the hook grip has merit and the hook grip will lend itself to pulling more weight off the ground. Yeah, I think that's a good distinction um, because you know you could you could argue that for a lot of things strength-wise, you can't even hook grip those things. Like if you're gonna pick up a heavy Atlas stone or something, if you're gonna do strongman stuff, how many of those things can you actually hook grip? So I think it's really important to understand that you're talking about a specific category of things, which is things that you can actually physically hook grip, um, which is kind of what really the 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 bigger thing that I wanted to bring to the argument is, is uh, first of all, what is the definition of strong? Like, how do you define strong? Um, I could see where you're saying, okay, to be as strong as you potentially want to be in the Olympic lifts, to max that out to its true 100%, you need that. Um, but that's a distinction, I think, above and beyond just saying this person wants to be strong. Um, and then secondly is, I think there's an argument for saying that it's more, more of a specialization than it is GPP, general physical preparedness, because if you look at what objects, again, you could hook grip in your regular life, um, you know, I'm trying to think about where would people do the majority of their lifting? They're going to go help a friend move. They're going to remodel something in their house. How many of those objects that they're going to pick up and carry, are they going to be able to hook grip in there? So if you're talking about application outside the gym, which is really what we're trying to get with the GPP type setting, you could argue that the hook grip is very much a specialization within the gym, but doesn't translate to a lot of things outside the gym. Well, yeah, 100%. You know, I think, like I, like I clarified, the hook grip, I don't hook grip, some people hook grip their deadlift, some people hook grip their overhead squat. I don't do that. I'm simply talking, you know, snatching and cleaning. And, and when I do that, I hook grip. And, I, you know, again, that statement is very much to get people on the, you know, you, you know at your box, what percentage of people would you say your box actually implement the hook grip? Ooh, percentage-wise, five to ten percent, I would say. That's it. That's do yeah. You, do you guys promote it? Like teach it? So that's me personally as a coach. I barely ever teach it. If I'm going to run a seminar, I'll teach it. If I'm just coaching a class, I'll throw it out there. Hey, today's a pretty grip-heavy day. If you're proficient at the hook grip, today's a great day to do it, and then I'll leave it at that. But I'm not the type of guy that's going to say, "Okay, we're about to do." snatch prep for the today everybody go ahead and set your hook grip this is how you do it that's not my style because i think as you pointed out in your post and the explanation of your post is like the hook grip hurts like if you're coming in to just have a good time and you could get this extra five or ten pounds by throwing on a hook grip and it hurts like i mean honestly i don't think that really matters to the everyday person if you talk about their goals and why they're there um, and i think there's also an argument to be made that if you need the hook grip to lift that weight, is that weight really appropriate for the rest of your body in terms of spinal load and every shoulder load and everything else that's going to come with it? Um, I remember Kelly Surrett 
making the, uh, he just describes the situation of like, you're playing with your kids, make sure that you don't grab them by the wrists and swing them. Make sure that they're actually grabbing your hands as you swing them because they're gonna get different engagement of the shoulder and you don't wanna overload those joints with just like more force than those joints can handle. So I kind of use that same think line of thinking of like, okay, well, if you can't hold it grip wise with just a regular grip, do you really want that load on the rest of your body? So from, a, from just a general fitness perspective, when I think about why people are in the gym, it's like, okay, I, I think that for the most part, we want these people developing their grip strength and, and uh, not going through this unnecessary pain of a hook grip to maybe throw an arbitrary five or 10 more pounds on the barbell. I, I don't disagree with that. I think, I don't, I didn't put enough thought into it, but I would argue, you know, if it's your own body holding the bar, it's a little different than say someone throwing on knee sleeves or a belt, which we see a lot, which, which I also firmly believe. I rarely, if ever, throw on any sort of gear to help because I want to be under control and I want to feel like this is something my body is meant to handle. I'm not using outside gear to assist there. But I think there's a time and a place, like if you're going for something once a month that's truly heavy or you're trying to PR. But I, I can understand where you're coming from there that you have to really determine is it. And, and, I, and I agree with you. I think if anything over the last two years or so with CrossFit that we've all learned is, you know, this is general population now. And you're, yeah. you're right. General population does not need to hook. I don't say that they don't need to. It would be, I wouldn't even call a risk reward. I would call it a pain reward. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I don't think they're really at risk, but yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you hooker, but I mean, my thumbnails always have like these weird black lines through it. I get these really painful tears like under my nails that just sting like crazy. Um, you know, I can't feel my thumbs. The only time I really ever use tape is like today we're going to clean. I'll throw tape around my thumbs because I grip it. But, you know, and, and I would argue this also, like whether or not every athlete at your box needs it, it's probably like anything in CrossFit. It's good to practice once in a while. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if you don't want to hook grip every time we snatch, okay. But hey, on your, no different than your deadlift, right? So I always encourage people on warm-up sets of deadlifts, make sure you're doing a symmetrical double overhand uh, grip. Mm -hmm. If you're then going to go to a heavy load, feel free to go, you know, over under, which tends to be a stronger grip. I would say the same but in reverse for the snatch. Hey, maybe when you're using an empty bar, lightweight, practice a hook grip. Then when you yeah. get uncomfortable, release it. And maybe next time it's a little heavier. And next time it's a little heavier. And eventually it's your one rep max. Let's say, cause there could be a fault too. I can't imagine doing a one RM without a hook grip. Maybe that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is I think it could be a crutch. Like even, even if I were to take the upper echelon crossfitter the one who's doing it professionally i could see where that becomes a crutch because they they might get to a clean ladder or a snatch ladder at the games and not have the time to hook grip because it is a little bit more time consuming and every split second matters um or you could argue that sometimes with like barbell cycling it can be hard to hold on to that so if you know you're going to lose it anyways you have to have that time in training where you've practiced losing it or you've practiced and developed the strength. But I like that you brought up the, uh, 
the mixed grip versus a double overhand grip. Cause that's, that's another thing that we kind of talk about with our athletes as, as a tool in the toolbox versus a crutch that you should use all the time. You know, I would, I would, I would ask you this though, Andrew, is the hooker part of technique when it comes to the Olympic lifts? Uh, I think it depends on the context. I think Fair it depends enough. on the context. You know, because the cross, again, the CrossFit context is we see Olympic lifts in all shapes and forms. And sometimes it is quick, heavy singles or a ladder or something like that, where you may not have the opportunity to use it. So you have to use both. You have to know how to use both. Yeah, I guess, you know, my argument would have been, okay, if, if it is technique, it would be like saying, well, is squatting with your best technique? Should we not do that every time? Right? Of course we should. We want to prevent injury. I don't think the hooker prevents injury. I mean, for me, I'm much more comfortable catching the bar and the snatch overhead with a hook grip than I am with Alfred. I think it's just the way the bar sits in my hands, the way I'm able to punch it out. But I don't think, I, I think you can snatch or clean with maintaining all of the other points of performance without the hook grip. Yeah. I mean, I, the only time I hook grip that I've been comfortable with is lighter snatches where it looks like more of a muscle snatch. And I'm just kind of using it less to get more weight on the bar and more to just lessen that grip fatigue over time. So, you know, a lot of open workouts that have had 75 pound barbells, that's the time that I like to hook grip. Um, heavy weights, I usually don't do it. Everyone, I like it more on snatches than cleans, but I think I've never had success with it in the cleans, um, even at my, my heaviest weights. So always you know, prefer I, no hooker. I, um, I agree with you. I, I really, I use it all the time, one rep or multi rep, but certainly on a day, if you're going to have a, you know, like a nasty girls workout with 10 hang power cleans at 135. I hook grip not so much for the pull up, but mostly for when I'm bringing the bar down and that eccentric loading. Mm -hmm. If I if I did that, it would slip right out of my hands without the hook grip. And yeah. probably, you know, the tape's a little bit of a, an advantage, if you will, because it's a little grippier. I think the, uh, the bigger conversation that I would like a lot of coaches to understand through this is, is going back to, again, why people are there, right? We're talking about, taking on what you said, pain versus reward. I think that was a great way to put it because it's not, I don't feel like you're putting people at more risk necessarily. Um, and I think it's important to note that like when most of our general population are come in as coaches, we can't get so caught up in what we want that want to teach or want them to do that we're, we're missing the mark on why they're there, what they're trying to get out of that day. And um, you know, what, what their goals are outside the gym. Yeah, and you know, in, in fairness, I you know, if I if I were teaching the snatch, I would probably make that joke every time I teach, you know. And then if I walk around and you know Sally didn't have a hook grip, I'd probably say, Hey Sally, how can we not hook gripping? And if she said it really hurts, I'd say something to the extent of like, that's okay, like you'll get used to it. And if she was like, I don't want you, I'd be like, That's fine too. You know, and I think that's what you're and that's really when I think about coaching at the next level. I believe that's what it's all about. It's that connection, it's that understanding, and it's that empathy that you have to have with your athletes. I think newer and primarily younger coaches, like under 28, 27, that are just so like 
go, 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 intensity, competition, that's where they struggle to make that connection with most of their athletes. Fern and I spoke about it recently where it's like, dude, you're 55. You're fitter than every other 55-year-old you know. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, there are a lot of 55-year-olds better than you, but compared to your peers, you're like the best. Like, do you really need more? Yeah. That's yeah, those are, those are questions we try to answer all the time. Like, how, fit, how strong is strong? How fit is fit? And not that I ever want someone to be complacent, but there has to be an understanding that, like, realistically, there's going to be some kind of physical peak at some point, and then we're not going to necessarily be able to PR indefinitely, and that we have to kind of recalibrate throughout our lifetimes of what those goals are going to be and what we're going to shoot for each day without necessarily feeling that in order to be successful, we always have to hit lifetime PRs. You know, athletes in other sports get, get this. They, you know, LeBron James is, is kind of breaking the mold at, at whatever, 36 years old and still in like his physical peak. But most athletes understand, okay, I'm going to peak around 30 to 35. And then, you know, I'm going to hope that that mental side can take, take over. And then eventually they, those guys retire. But I think in the CrossFit world, we kind of assume especially with it still being a newer sport that like, okay, we, we should just continue to PR instead of understanding that at some point there's going to be a peak and that we, we have to be happy with some sort of base threshold of being able to do, uh, you know, strict pull-ups and run a mile in a certain time, even if it's not our absolute best we've ever done. Well, yeah, I like that question of like how strong is strong enough. You know, we referenced Pat Sherwood on, on an episode on best hour where we said, he, he used to say, like, if you can deadlift 315, you've got enough. Yeah. You know, and I always, like, in the past when I was younger and coaching, someone would, you know, the, that question would be posed to me. I'd be like, well, how much is enough money? Right? Because we often are like, never. Like, I could always have more. But there's also a number in your head where, like, if I had X amount of dollars, I can live comfortably. I could maybe work. I maybe don't have to. I have money for the kids' college fund, et cetera. Yeah, so there's definitely, and I think that's important for all athletes to think about, like, what is enough for you? Because there's got to be that idea, I talk about, like, there's a, there's a lifestyle lean, meaning there's a, there's a physique I see in the mirror where I'm like, I'm happy with this for the effort I'm putting in. Yeah. And the same has to be said for your training. Because if you're always go, trying to go, a thousand percent in every workout and you're never just like content and enjoying it that's a problem too so there has to be like hey like right now for me i'm i'm what i would consider lifestyle lean the effort i'm putting in i'm very pleased with what i see in the mirror every day and i can continue this forever and the same has to hold true for your training like you have to enjoy showing up you can't be lazy i'm not suggesting you don't try but i'm saying like you said, be comfortable with, hey, some days I PR, some days I'm just happy to have moved. And you have to know the difference in those types of days. I think we, we often, you know, we talk about relative intensity when it comes to intensity. And mm -hmm. as coaches, we only think about that as like, there's Andrew, there's Jason, there's Sally, there's so-and-so. Their relative intensity is different from one another. Like Sally's a grandma, Andrew's a games athlete. They're yeah. doing the same workout, but Andrew's using 300, she's using 50 where sometimes relative intensity has to be relative to you. I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. I'm not feeling my best. I've got a lot of stress at work. All right, 
let's dial back that intensity accordingly. Yeah. And that's really where you start to enjoy this thing for what it is. Like the other day I was coaching at the box and everyone just seemed to be really stressed about the workout for some reason. Like, what should I do? How many reps? What should I scale to? And I like, there's like seven people. I was like, hold on a sec, everybody. I was like, right before I was about to hit three, two, and go. I was like, hold on. Let's understand. This is exercise. Like we're here on a Monday night, 6.30. We're exercising. We're doing more than most people in the world can do. Like appreciate that for a second rather than being stressed about it. Yeah, I love that. I love that you were able to pick up on that and just break that tension. That was like a uh, Chuck Bennington. I believe I stole that from Chuck Bennington. Uh, he would always be like, it's just fitness. And I always laughed when he would say that. So what do you, you started to throw out some numbers, the 315 deadlift. Do you have numbers in your head? It could be just specific to you, but like, what are the things that you think for the average person who's like, you know, middle age, like 30s, 40s, something like that, that would, what are the numbers that they should be able to hit in certain categories? Hmm. I don't have anything written down. If I were like, let's just throw out some random things. Like, Fern and I were talking yesterday, like what we'd want, like when we're 55, maybe, you know, like I think it's obviously age dependent, but think about like if you're in your fifties and you have just one muscle up, like how many 50 year olds could do them? Like, it's not yeah. about the strength, it's the strength plus the technique to be able to do that. You know, it's like, we were joking. I was like, man, when my grandparents were probably 50, I thought they were 80 and they, you know, if my grandparents did a muscle up when I was a kid, like, He's Superman. So, you know, I think always having the ability to do a muscle up through life is pretty cool. Um, if I were to give up deadlift, I'd probably put like, if you have a two times body weight deadlift, you probably have enough. Like yeah. I always say, like, if you find yourself in the real world having to lift something that's 315 pounds, it's either an emergency or hire somebody. Yeah. Um, squat, one and a half body weight. Um, you know, and granted, my numbers are more than those. I'm just saying, I might not be content right now if my if my best back squat was one and a half. But you're all, you're you know, also a, a smaller guy than most, right? You're how, right. how much you weigh? One forty. One forty. Yeah. So you're talking two eighty on the dead. Uh, yeah, it's relative, right? Two ten. Like, two ten on the back squat. Maybe a body weight press, which I don't know that I can do right now. Um, so yeah. you know. There, there used to be, as you know, like some charts out there for those types of things. But, you, you know, you can't only be strength related. Fern and I were saying, like, if you have a sub five minute Fran that doesn't, you know, completely knock you on your butt, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, there's probably a mile time, like an eight minute mile. Point is, if, if you could do all of those things, I think the big picture is like life's never going to be your limiting factor. Yeah. You know, you're always going to be able to accomplish what's necessary. Yeah, I love that. I think it's I think it's really cool to define that. Like you brought up with the money thing. I think the money thing's a little different in the sense that if you have if you have a plan for what you want to do with it, you could always find another cause or something that you want to add to your life that could add value. Um, whereas you you could argue if you have a you know 350 pound back spot, what is that? 400th pound gonna get you really besides just a good Instagram post maybe um, but I, I think that it's really important to go through the exercise whether it's 
in fitness or in money because it allows you to, um, number one, I think have more balance in your life, like have that, figure out where the holes in your game are because I think a lot of people, at least what we've seen in the, the history of our gym is like, they tend to, to dwell on strength numbers. They get caught up in constantly PR and their strength numbers and they forget about the, you know, the mile run, the 5K, the uh, ability to do even something like a Fran sometimes, a benchmark workout. Um, and then when it comes to money, people, people just think they want more and they don't know what that number is that actually is gonna give them a pretty fulfilling life. Um, and then if they get more beyond that, great, but they could be really satisfied with a certain amount. Yeah, I think it's funny how in life we think about that when it comes to finances, we probably think about it in a few other categories, but for some reason it's not something we think about at the box. Yeah. And I think it's important too, because otherwise, you know, we always say like, what's unique about CrossFit is it's measurable, observable, and repeatable. And, you know, what doesn't get measured can't be improved. We need to, I think if you're listening to this on either of our podcasts and you you go to the box regularly, you need to have those numbers. What do I want out of this? And that'll help a guide you to, you know, push certain things when they come up in your programming and also help you be satisfied when the, when the time is right. Like, oh, you were working so hard for this, you achieved it, rather than not knowing and kind of always chasing the next thing. Mm -hmm. Cool, I wanna change gears a little bit and talk about some of the projects that you have going on. Um, I'd love to talk about the podcast. I mean, as someone who's had a podcast for almost two and a half years now and seeing some of the things that have come about, I mean, you have just, you've come on like, you know, a man on fire in the podcast scene in terms of how much you've been posting. I think you, you had wanted to post once or twice a week and you ended up posting three to five times a week or maybe even more on some weeks. Um, what, what are your recommendations out there for people that want to start a podcast? What benefits have you seen from doing it? I think the number one recommendation I would give is be consistent. So regardless if you're doing one or five, pick a number, pick a day, pick a time and put them out consistently. Let your listeners know when to expect another episode, know, you know, where they can download it, et cetera. And that goes for, you know, like we were talking about earlier with just entrepreneurship. I think so many people want to achieve something, want to create something, and then they're just not consistent and upset. Or as soon as it's like, I'm not where I want to be after three days, they quit. Yeah. You know, Fern and I have a decent listenership, but we didn't for a long time. Yeah. And we, you know, I remember back when we were like, we get a hundred people per episode. This is amazing. You know, then it was like, wow, we're getting 500, you know, now we're getting, you know, it was, it was, it was really cool to see those, you know, different metrics and, and see those slowly grow over time. And it was, I mean, I credit Fern. He was always like more, more, more. And I was, you know, I was always just, I enjoy it. I just like, I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy talking on our podcast, whether it's with Fern and interview by myself. So, you know, consistency, something you're passionate about and, you know, don't, don't give up on it. I think, I think really that's, those are the biggest takeaways. Yeah. Do you have any uh, things in the process that you've learned to streamline throughout it? to enable you to do that many? Because I think a lot of people would, you know, even if they have those aspirations, the system would break down at some point, or do you just kind of 
uh, micromanage it and just always on emailing people back and all that. Yeah, I mean, as far as communication and email, that's all me. Um, but I think when we first launched, we were trying to do too much. Like you look at someone like Joe Rogan's podcast and you're like, oh, he does the podcast, he does these clips, he does this, he does that. I'm like, Joe Rogan probably has a 10 person team. Once he records, he doesn't do anything else. And we tried to do a lot of that. And some of it you can streamline. There's programs out there, there's apps, et cetera. But then we realized, you know, going back to earlier, like what's our focus? Daily podcasts or, you know, multiple weekly podcasts. Let's get on, let's hit record. Let's drag this thing to anchor, which we use to put publish. And that's all. That's really like the, the only thing I concern myself with. And then I'm the one that does our social media as far as, okay, let's, let's, you know, find some fun, you know, quips like the hook rip one. Um, but other than that, it's more just like, let's, let's, let's hit record. We don't do a whole lot of editing as you, you know, those that listen to us regularly know, uh, we don't do a whole lot of pre-planning. Oftentimes it's like one of us has the topic and we don't even tell the other person, which we enjoy, you know, I think we both like that. I don't like, you know, when I have someone on the podcast, when they're like, hey, can you send me a list of questions? I'm like, I don't want you on here anymore because it's not going to be enjoyable, you know? And just like for you, as you saw, you were like, let's talk about this. I'm like, cool, put it on the calendar. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I usually... if, you, if you can't do that, you're not really an expert. Yeah, exactly. You want people talking about things that they know, not things that they have to do a whole lot of research on. Did you have any tipping points for the podcast in terms of, you mentioned these 100, 300, 500 listeners. Did you have any like uh, big breakthroughs or was that just coming from time? Yeah, I don't remember any podcast specifically. The one that did really well was when we had Coach Glassman on, you know, mm -hmm. about a little over a year ago. Um, that one was like our first one to get to like 5,000, like relatively quickly. Um, but I think it was, all, I just credit it to consistency. I mean, if anything, our interviews do okay, but actually the conversations we have that are box or coaching or, you know, uh, athlete related, those are the ones that tend to do best. I think every podcast this day and age has guests on, you know, especially in the CrossFit world, you can find a podcast that gets the games athletes that everybody wants to hear. Fern and I don't really care about the games athletes. Like, yeah, we're impressed by you, but that's not, that's not what drives us. Hmm. What, so what does drive you? Who, who are the people? Is it the end user? Is it the coaches? What is it that drives you? Yeah, it's the end user. It's the coaching staff. It's the, uh, you know, the, the athletes that go to the box. It's the box owners. We, I love getting emails and we probably get a dozen a week of like, wow, that topic really resonated or thanks for putting that out there. It made me think about things differently. I love when we get questions from our listeners and I answer them, even when I'm like brutally honest and completely blunt with them. They're like, I just had an episode earlier this week where I was like really hard on somebody and then they just sent a question, but he wrote back and he was like, I never thought about it like that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and I'm not going to lie about it. Like I, I only give my true feelings and my true opinion. Yeah, I think there's, there's, it's almost easier to do it in that format where you're, you're kind of talking to a hypothetical person, even though it did come directly from someone, you know, Stu's really good at that as well. I know, you know, you know, Stu where yeah. he, he's usually nicer to people's face than he is on the podcast. Um, he'll be pretty blunt. So yeah, and I think with me, you get the same, like, 
I try to hold back. Like sometimes I want to be like a little meaner, but I try to, I try to record as if I'm truly talking to that person, you know, maybe a tiny bit harsher where yeah, like Stu's dropping F-bombs every other, every other sentence. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think I like recording those episodes where short, you know, five, 10 minutes. And I love the fact that people feel comfortable asking us questions. Like that's, that's why we do this. I want to be, you know, the, the dear Jason of the CrossFit world. Yeah. Are you, are you feeling pretty anchored to the CrossFit world moving forward? Or do you see yourself kind of creating your own thing using what you've learned in CrossFit? You know, I know, I know coaches development is a big thing that you do. So do you see your biggest place of impact through like the seminar staff still, or do you think there's a, a bigger opportunity for you on, on your own? I'll, I'm anchored in the CrossFit world. I mean, if like we talked about at the beginning, if if this kind of time has taught me anything, it's like CrossFit is my foundation. You know, I'll, I venture into different things. I've done bodybuilding, I've done Peloton, I've done yoga. It's like your North Star. CrossFit is yeah. definitely my North Star. Like as soon as I got back into the box during this pandemic, I was like, I've been missing this, both from a coaching and training perspective. I think. I think my biggest impact will be coaches development. I mean, certainly the level ones are tremendous. I'll continue doing that as long as they let me, but you know, everybody, I shouldn't say it like that. You know, many people can become part of CrossFit staff and it's, it's hard, it's prestigious, et cetera. But I don't think just because you're on CrossFit staff, you can necessarily develop coaches the way I can, but I, you know, I can do both. So I always want to be on staff. I love it. But I, but I think my true passion and my true like genius, if you will, is connecting with coaches to help them become better coaches. You know, it's like, if I can help those people, now all of a sudden I'm helping hundreds of people. Yeah. What's, what's like fresh in your mind right now as it relates to coaches development? What's, whether it's something you're just working on or uh, something you think people need to work on, something that might be just a weakness that you see as a pattern, what's fresh in your mind right now? I think, you know, the pandemic taught us we need human interaction. Yeah. And, and like I said earlier, I think coaches that want to be the best and that are the best have a, a innate ability to connect with other human beings through, through empathy. You know, there's a reason whenever someone mentions the name Chuck Carswell, you only have positive things to say. And it's because yeah. he has this crazy ability that, you know, he was born with and he's worked on and gotten better over his 50 years to, to connect with people. And you can be the best coach at seeing, at correcting, at teaching, but if you can't connect with those other human beings, it won't matter. You know, the expression of, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. So, you know, it's like we talked about the hooker. I put out there that quote, but I'm still the coach that if you tell me this, you just don't want to do it, I'm not going to yell at you for not doing it. Where yeah. I think a lot of coaches would would find it hard to do that. Yeah, I like, I like putting that stuff out there. What I find is that a lot of coaches who think they're good at relationships and going deeper will kind of stay very surface level. And they'll avoid stuff like the hook grip because they don't want to have that uh, discomfort. And 
I mean, I kind of explained my position, but I like stuff like that where you, you're, it's kind of purposely bringing out, uh, bringing you onto the edges of your coaching to have those conversations that might not otherwise come up. And if you can lead that hook grip discussion into uh, a person's why, or potentially it comes up about how their last week has been terrible. And then you just, you know, you become part psychologist for a couple minutes and you have that connection for them that you can touch back on for the next several weeks and several months, but continue to look for those opportunities to have a deeper moment, I think is, is huge for a lot of coaches. Yeah. I, I had a chat with Carl from whiteboard daily. You know, we do a weekly podcast called whiteboard weekly. And one of the things we talked about a couple of weeks ago was that idea of Ford. Have you heard of Ford? No. So Ford stands for family, occupation, recreation. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've heard it. Yeah. Right. And I always, you know, cause you get a lot of people, coaches that are like, well, how do I connect? Well, find out those four things from each member, family, occupation, recreation, dreams. Like if you're like, I'm stuck. What do I ask Andrew? Hey, Andrew, are you married? Cool. How long have you been married? Do you have kids? You know, all of a sudden you're in a new conversation. Oh, what do you do outside of, you know, training? What's your job? Oh, I'm an accountant, you know, blah, blah, blah. All, you know, that, that could be your guide, your guide for what you could be asking people about when, when you're not sure where to go. And if you know those four things about every athlete at your box, you're set for life. Yeah, it's funny. We actually have something similar built into the Rockstar coaching course. And uh, we actually realized with our coaching staff, one of the things that the pandemic has affected the most is like our team camaraderie. And we started doing obviously our meetings through Zoom. So we weren't meeting in person. Coaches weren't able to uh, work in the gym as much. There was just less overlap, less interaction with our coaches. And what we found is that a lot of our coaches felt like they've always been good about giving feedback to each other. But then the pattern that came about was that coaches felt like the only time I'm talking to this person is to give this person critical feedback. So it just feels like I'm just an asshole because the only time I'm ever talking to this person is to say, hey, this warm up could have been a little bit better. What do you think about that? And so now in our meetings, one of the things we're doing is basically what you're saying with the Ford, we're just giving our, our coaches seven minutes uh, each with another coach where they just get to ask questions and learn about that other coach. And they get the entire seven minutes with one person asking questions, the other person answering, and then we flip the script for seven minutes. Uh, and we're gonna do that for 10 straight weeks until everybody on our team sits with everybody, every other coach on our team and just gets to know them. And that, that trust is so important, whether that's between your team members, between your owner and your coaches, or whether it's your members, it's huge. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, that it's, it's hard because I had somebody ask us the other day, like, how, what do I do with a coach that's great, but has a personality that does, doesn't jive at the box? And it's like, it's hard. You're basically saying, hey, you have a crappy personality. Um, but, you know, give, it's hard to give them some tangibles to work on when it comes to presence and attitude. You know, some easy ones might be like, hey, I just want to hear you use everybody's name three times in class today. But then the next level would be like, hey, in one month from now, I want you to be able to give me five people at random their Ford. Yeah, that's good. Because what does that show me? That means you spent at least two to four minutes with them, right? And so that'd be a challenge, you know, as a box owner, if you're listening or a coach, you know, and, and ultimately, if, you know, and, and granted, you're not going to memorize everyone's Ford. I know it's a little 
outlandish. But when you walk in, you're like, oh yeah, you know, she's married to somebody that doesn't come to the box. He's his wife comes to the five a.m. You know, he's a he's a doctor. He's a car salesman. You know, his dream is to you know sail around the world. You know, you just kind of to learn those things. Like like how many weddings have you been invited to, Andrew, over the years at your box? Oh, a ton. I mean, yeah. at least a few, at least a few every year. Right, and that's because your your members care about you. Yeah. Cool. Any other big uh, coaches development thing that you're top of mind right now? No, Fern and I have a couple of things in the works that we're working on for box owners. Um, I I always do one on one stuff that people are interested. I'm launching a 90 day coaches development course. Actually, today in a couple hours is our first call. So you know that's that's full um but no this is just our world and and like you i think we just really enjoy giving back to the community i think that's that's the foundation if if you want to be successful it has to be something you care about and you have to be doing you know i think it was glassman you know doing the right things for the right people yeah awesome we'll wrap up on that i think that's a good spot to end it um you mentioned stuff and hook up everything Hook gripping my pen as we speak. I do uh, find myself hook gripping my steering wheel almost every time I'm in my car. I will. I will honestly say I probably hook grip my steering wheel more than I hook grip a barbell in the gym. <laughs> and, so. and you know, I, I have a very weak grip and small hands, so I, I'm sure that's why I'm a little more partial to the to the hook grip. I, I, I have tiny hands too. I just uh, I don't know why. I just don't don't like it, and I've always been able to hit pretty pretty good numbers without it. So I just haven't done it much, but yeah. Um, any, anywhere else that you want to share? You mentioned the coaches development course, but if people want to reach out to you, uh, the best hour of the day is the best hour of your day or their day is the podcast. Best, best hour of their day on Instagram and podcasts and website. And then on social media, personally, my Instagram is the Jason Ackerman. So if anybody has questions, they can reach me either way. Happy to answer, happy to chat, whatever you guys need. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for joining, Jason. Thank you, Andrew.